So I'm chatting today with Sarah Wilson, who's the Executive Operations Manager from Multicultural Communities Council of Illawarra, otherwise known as MCCI. Thanks for joining me, Sarah. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me here. Now, I can hear an accent. So I'm assuming that you have migrated to this country. Do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself before we talk about MCCI? Yes, so uh, I first came to Australia in 2001, doing the normal sort of backpacking route that many Brits do. I met my husband here, even though he's also British, and we just loved Australia, and we always wanted to come back. He's got a medical profession, so when we went back to the UK, our plan was we'd love to move back to Australia if we can, and that was possible through his occupation. It was on the in-demand list. We said to our parents, we'll just try it for a couple of years. If we don't like it, we'll come (laughs) back, and 15 years later, we're still here. Yeah, and did you land in the Wollongong area or somewhere else first? So we went to Sydney. We had been living in London, but knew that we didn't really want to settle in a city. Never really heard about Wollongong at the time and went camping one weekend to Coldale Beach and just fell in love with the place, the the escarpment and the sea and that narrow strip of land in between Mm. and just thought, this is where we want to be. I know it very well because my daughter used to live in Wambara. Yes. And the bolo there is pretty good. You'll know the bolo and the Wambara bolo and still the Coldell RSL. Well, that's been a, quite interesting recently because they they shut it and now the volunteers have brought it back to life again, sold the poker machines to fund it, and hopefully it'll stay as a community led venue for a while longer. Yeah, fantastic because it's also another, you know, there's just that sense still of history of those people who who were living down there, who possibly worked in the steelworks or, or coal mining and so on. But just you walk into places like that and there's that sense of the history of the place. Yeah, and I think Wollongong, you can see the history everywhere. Obviously, the steelworks and the coal mining has played such a major part in Wollongong, but also in the migration history of Wollongong as well. So a lot of the communities that are now ageing were those people who came over um, to work in the steelworks, as well as the migration that happened because of wars and things like that. Hmm. So it's really interesting. You see world events and industrial things happen through the patterns of migration in Wollongong. Mm-hmm. So well, that leads us into a little bit about why MCCI was founded in the first place. Yeah, so MCCI was founded in 1975 and it came out of something called a Good Neighbour Council. There were people who were coming over who just felt that their needs were not being represented. So some people who had migrated to Australia set up MCCI, which was the Illawarra Ethnic Communities Council at that point, and started to get a little bit of government funding to run a few things. Um, and over time, we've just grown and expanded to to do lots of different things and now run lots of different service streams. In the Illawarra, we run both aged care services, but also youth and refugee support services. You probably need to tell people how far does the Illawarra region uh, expand out to? So officially, the Illawarra is from Helensburg in the north, so at the bottom of the National Park. Uh, down to sort of Kayama, but really the Shoalhaven sometimes gets encapsulated in that term as well, although Illawarra Shoalhaven is probably a better term. Most of our work is down, probably the furthest south we go at the moment is the Bay and Basin area. Mm-hmm. But what we're finding is as house prices increase, 
people are moving further and further south. So there are more migrant communities now moving further south. Mm. And hence, we're looking also at how we can support those communities as well. Mm. And also you cover Queanbeyan as well. So ACT Queanbeyan, yes. So our intention is never to sort of grow for growth's sake. But we realise that in the ACT in Queanbeyan, there wasn't a multicultural specific aged care service. But if you look at the the stats of the ageing population and the number of people who are over 65, we felt there was a real need. And we talked to lots of community leaders over several years before we we set up a service. But we're about trying to service community needs. So if there's a need there, we'll we'll go and we'll try and develop a service that meets those community needs. Mm. And with the Queanbeyan and ACT area, how long have you been providing support here? So nearly four years now. We started in 2019. 2020 to 2022 was a difficult time with COVID. A lot of the work we've been doing in terms of community engagement had to sort of stop a little bit. So it probably wasn't the most ideal time to start a new service, but uh, it's definitely one that's growing every day. Mm. And in terms of demographics, client backgrounds, where do people come from? You know, cultural backgrounds, age range... So we only deliver aged care services in ACT, so that's people over 65. In terms of cultural backgrounds, uh, quite varied actually. Uh, We work with people from Indian backgrounds, Serbian backgrounds, uh, Chinese backgrounds. There's lots of smaller communities as well. So uh, we've just started working with the Mon community who are a group from Burma. So it's really where the need exists is that's where we go. Mm. There are lots of communities who might not need so much support. So and that's absolutely fine. But if there is a need, then we'll try and work with that community to see if we can fill that need. So what what kind of supports are we talking about? What kinds of needs do these communities have? So there's some community connection type needs. So uh, people getting together, in essence, people want to come together. They want to share experiences, food, culture. So we enable that through social groups, outings, trips. We had about probably 150 people last week go to high tea at the Hyatt, which was lovely. We've got a group going to down the coast, Batemans Bay tomorrow. So all those kind of things, enabling people to do things they might not otherwise do, but also just to get together and share stories food culture we also provide in-home services so our aim is to make sure that people can live well at home and that can be anything from little simple changes in the home maybe it's quarter turn taps instead of you know taps that are hard to turn off rails in the bathroom those kind of things to helping with quite high needs so there might be people who in the end need help to get out of bed have a shower help with medication so it's really a a range from quite low level services to quite high needs so uh, a couple of things popped into my head while you were talking and one of those about the social groups and everything is about uh, isolation I'm thinking loneliness and isolation in the community might be part of the definitely the underlying issues there Loneliness and isolation was really exacerbated during COVID and we still have a lot of community members who still are a bit fearful about going out, obviously. Um, So it's being able to provide somewhere that they feel safe, um, that they can make new friends or connect with old friends and just facilitating those relationships. It's also we often find that first step to if someone might need more help in the future, by having that connection in a social group they might be more willing to ask for help in the future. Mm. We know that in general, and we know I'm sure we'll, I'll be the same, 
people are very proud. They don't necessarily want to accept help. They want to be seen as coping. And one of the messages is, I suppose, it's okay to need help and ask for help. That That's why there is a aged care system in place. The main thing is that we want people to be able to enjoy their lives. So if that's help getting out, bus transport to a group, a good hot meal when they're at the group. There are many men who, whose wives might have cooked for many years if they lose their wives. They're actually alone and the evening meal or that meal was such an important time of the day mm-hmm. that being able to provide something that doesn't it won't replace it but at least replicates it a little bit is mm-hmm. really important for people's mental well-being mm-hmm. and one of the other things i think one of the big things we do is actually help people to access the services so one of the biggest barriers particularly from people from called backgrounds culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds is understanding the systems and being able to access those services. So my aged care we know is not a perfect system and it is going to change again. But the thought of having to ring a call centre, um, they then call you back to arrange an appointment, they then get someone to your home to do an assessment, that's quite a daunting thing. Just ringing a call centre and asking, answering questions about... And they can seem quite personal questions. Do you need help? You're talking to a stranger who's saying, you know why can't you do things for yourself at home is a very challenging conversation to have. Mm. So a lot and because of you mentioned the fact that people have their sense of dignity absolutely. where they've probably worked hard and here they find themselves in a situation where they do need to ask for help. But, but I was wondering whether or not language was a challenge. Language can definitely be a challenge. So we have, on our staff, we have about 48 different languages spoken. It's not just language, it's culture as well. So we have lots of bilingual and bicultural staff. Having that understanding for people, helping them through processes, um, but also then delivering services in a way that is appropriate for them. That is that is why we exist, essentially. Mm. So maybe it's that someone likes to listen to the Quran in the evening, so they're a support worker can go in and help switch a tape on that has the Quran and have deliver the service at that time. Understanding fasting periods, whether it's Orthodox fasting yes. periods, Ramadan, and altering the services around that. Whether it's someone who wants to take your shoes off when you enter their house or might feel very uncomfortable with a male or female support worker delivering personal care. All those things are part of what we do to make sure that we're delivering the best care possible. It might also be that someone doesn't want someone from their community visiting them. Uh, There is a lot of smaller communities around, so everybody does know everybody. And people actually say, I'd like someone from outside of my community to help me. Again, because of that pride. Yeah. Is it just the pride or is it concern? There might be concern over, you know, maybe someone thinks, oh, they might talk to someone and they might share things. Um, But if someone says to us, this is what we'd like, we do our absolute best to try and meet that need. So do you need to under, uh, do you need to explain confidentiality uh, around client care to your clients so that they understand that that information is not being shared outside of the interaction? Yeah, absolutely. Privacy and confidentiality is really important and that's not only making sure that the support workers pass on the information that they do need to pass on to us and that the um, the clients understand there's some things that they will need to tell us because that affects their care or it might, you know there are incidents that we have to report, for example. But that 
it's we don't have casual conversations in the kitchen about things and that records that we keep are very secure lots of passwords protection papers aren't left on desks it's all people who need to have access to the information do other people do not can you explain to our listeners why that's important well, I think if you think of yourself, you wouldn't want someone to be able to go through your medical records or see what's happened in your life. Because we try and tailor services, we ask a lot of questions um, to people to be able to understand where they're coming from and what they need. As a lot of our clients have, uh, have significant trauma in their lives. They might have different relationships that they have affected them over time. So to enable us to deliver good care, we need to, to get a full picture of a person. But that doesn't mean that we then need to pass it on to other people. We just base the care around what they need and then get the feedback that we need to make sure that we're constantly updating or changing the service. Unfortunately, aged care is something where the majority of people are not getting better. They do deteriorate over time. Um, so we do need to constantly adapt and change services. And someone's needs, there could be, you know, a uh, medical issue that happens at some point and we have to completely look at what we're delivering again to make sure that it's suitable for if someone has a hospital stay when they come out of hospital they might need completely different services. Mm. So do they have a specific caseworker who provides the support one person that they contact? Yes yeah, so we have um, what we call care advisors so every person who gets our in-home care is assigned a care advisor. So that's their point of contact. And again, that's something that we know is really important to people. They want to know the name of the person that they're calling and be able to develop a bit of a relationship and trust. Trust is so important in all of these things. Similarly with support workers, when you hear all over the news that there's a worker shortage everywhere and it's not, you know, it's we're not immune to that. But where we can, we try and provide consistency of support workers so that, again, it's building that relationship, building that trust. And then people are more likely to open up and accept other help and other services as well. Mm-hmm. So th- that sounds terrific and m- really marvellous that you're filling that gap for people from multicultural backgrounds here in Queen Bien and the ACT. Do you have a rather large client group here or is it just small at the, the moment you said you started four years ago um, so we've probably got about four to five hundred clients here at the moment we are we're looking to work with new communities who need that support so one of the it's a, and those relationships take a long time to develop obviously so if there are people who think their community might need support please get in touch with us it's not a you know we can have lots of conversations first get to know each other get to understand the community needs it might be that we're not the right organization that there might be a better organization depending on what the situation is but what we can do is have those conversations and link people up with other services if we're not the right one Mm. and do you involve the family in that conversation depending on the person and what they would like sometimes with families they want more involvement than the person actually wants them to have (laughs) where we want to speak to the person who's getting the care ideally obviously sometimes there might be cognition issues or but it's the person is at the center of everything we do Mm. so we need to make sure they are as involved in their decision making as possible often with family members it's actually about their caring responsibilities there there's a lot of carer stress around there's a lot of expectation on carers and I think sometimes it's about us talking to the person saying, you know, your daughter can't actually be here every night to cook you dinner. She also needs a break. 
So what can we do? Can we send a support worker in one night so that your daughter can go and do something for herself? So we involve the people and we also involve if there's other services that they they interact with, if we need to get the GP involved, all those kind of things. So it's really about trying to make sure that it's then they're not alone and it's holistic care. Yeah, so client-centric. Absolutely. Mm. Clients are always in the centre. Mm. So this is in the ACT in Queanbeyan. In the Illawarra area, do you provide different services as well as aged care services and supports? Yes, so we do uh, a number of youth support programs in the Illawarra and refugee support programs. So we work a lot with schools uh, and that's around developing lots of leadership and capacity building um, type of work. We uh, run programs for women. Most of the people that we work with are either from refugee backgrounds or refugee-like backgrounds in our youth programs. And we also run a refugee employment support program through SSI International. And that supports, obviously, people to get into the workforce or access training to get into work. We know that for people getting employment, so housing and employment are one two of those things that really make people feel able to take control of their their lives um, and feel embedded in the community so those are the things we really work on so this is uh, people from multicultural backgrounds that you're providing pathways for for work yeah mainly from refugee backgrounds so people on various visa classes what we know is that if there are lots of barriers for people from refugee backgrounds in getting employment we still know there's uh, that even names can be a barrier and I, we've been doing this amazing What's in a Name campaign in Multicultural March to highlight where the names of some of our staff come from to, to build that awareness. The amount of resumes that we get where people have anglicised their names mm. because mm. they feel that they're going to be discriminated against if they use their real name. And it's really sad that we're still in that situation. Then there's other barriers around qualifications being recognised. We have people who have fantastic careers and qualifications from overseas getting them recognized in Australia can be a struggle Mm. so you have someone who might have been a nurse or a doctor overseas who's then doing a laboring job in Australia so we're not really getting the full capability of the person driving is another big one particularly in the Illawarra where public transport isn't fabulous um, and being able to get to and from work so we to have a, and it's a vast area. It is a vast area. So we have volunteer mentors who help people get their 120 hours up because we know that you know, transport is a significant barrier to employment. We run English conversation courses. We have uh, volunteers. Because literacy is a barrier. Literacy is a barrier. Mm. We have homework help and tertiary support volunteers who help people with either homework or if they're at uni or TAFE, some of their assignments. So it's really, again, looking at what does that person need and how can we build a plan to help them reach their goals? Mm. Do you also do presentations or awareness training at universities and TAFE or in New South Wales as well? Because I understand that sometimes there's some barriers that are created where you've got an international or a refugee student in an institution with struggling but the teaching faculty lack awareness around the challenges that person is having. 
Yeah, we do a lot of diversity and inclusion training, not just for education providers. We did we did actually do one uh, to the University of Wollongong just the other week, but also to aged care providers and uh, you know other service providers because, as you say, it's really important to, for people to get the understanding of what some of those barriers are, what some strategies they can use to assist. And we try wherever possible to use people with lived experience as paid speakers as well. We help train them to do public speaking so that they can tell their story. Often, as you know, it's the story that is the most powerful thing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was going to ask about people with mental illness and disability. Do you provide supports for people from CALB backgrounds or culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds who also have mental health and, and disability issues? Are you an NDIS provider or do you provide links into those supports given that there's not a great uptake of the NDIS from multicultural communities? Yeah, so we don't provide NDIS services or mental health services what we do is try and link people with services that do exist but also work with those providers to do that diversity and inclusion type training or support because we know that anecdotally we've heard that people don't feel that they're being heard or listened to or the the, the support they're getting isn't culturally appropriate so people will come to us and then we'll work one-on-one with them to link them to a a service that's appropriate to them Mm. We also do a lot of community awareness raising. Mental health is a great example, which uh, core communities often don't talk about. There isn't a word for mental health in many languages. So we've been working with young people from different communities to actually do develop some resources which talk to them about what mental health might be or how to recognise signs of bad mental health, but in terms that they understand and they can then talk to their parents or other community members about. So you don't provide supports for people with mental illness but if someone was to look for a job, someone from multicultural background who was well and recovered, would you be employing people who have that level of lived experience? Absolutely. One of the things we do through the employment programme And it really depends on what the person wants to disclose as well. Mm. But if someone gets a job, we offer something called post-placement support. So that is making sure that they're able to keep their job. Now, often if someone's from a refugee background, they've experienced significant trauma. Trauma, yes. So if they're okay with us talking to the employer about that, then it might be that we develop with uh, with the employer a bit of a plan, some education, look at some strategies if they notice particular things. And we're actually running a session next Tuesday on Harmony Day for some local employers just around the lived experience of a refugee. To develop their understanding, it is something that's very alien to a lot of people and unfortunately the media doesn't always portray people in a positive light, so we're there to help raise awareness. I want to move to a different type of question. I hope that's okay. That's fine. Are there differences in need between in the various parts of the Illawarra? You're providing services, aged care services here in the ACT and Queanbeyan region, but are there different sorts of needs from Heathcote all the way down to past Kiama on the south coast? You can notice some differences in terms of the demographics of the area. Or is it across cultural groups? So part of it's across cultural groups, part of it's in location. We do notice in Canberra, I think because of probably the industries and the it, there's a lot of public servants or ex-public servants around, so they might have a higher level of education. So 
whilst we might need to support communities. So we've got a, a quite a large Burmese community in Wollongong. Many of them have lived in refugee camps for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so this kind of support you might need to offer that community is quite different from, say, the uh, Indian community in Canberra. Um, so and that's about getting to know the communities, and it's not definitely not a one size fits all, fits all approach. Mm. Even how we deliver a service. So the social group that we run for the Burmese community, you know, they at home sit on the floor to eat. Now, when we look at our risk assessment, people go, "Oh, you know, older people sitting on the floor. The risk of that's just what they do. So that's what they're comfortable with. If they want to do that, that's great. But we probably wouldn't do that for." the Indian community here or Chinese community here Mm. so it's really about getting to know the community what they need their backgrounds and developing a service that works for them Mm. and you were mentioning before we um, started the interview we were talking about labels and the label of migrant and refugee could you expand a bit on that I think you mentioned in particular the Vietnamese community and yeah, so we talk a lot about language at work and the importance of language and how we label people. Um, by giving someone a label, you're automatically making assumptions about them. You're automatically using your unconscious bias, whether we like it or not. We all do it. So understanding what a label means to someone is really important as well. Does someone want to be called from a refugee background? Maybe that's something that they have now say no that's in my past I am Australian Vietnamese for example other people really celebrate that and see it as look how far we've come look where we came from and how we are now contributing to the local community so again it's it's about talking to the person and really listening we talk a lot about curiosity at MCCI and being curious about people not making assumptions and Every day I learn something new. That's one of the things I love about working at MCCI. But it's so important that everybody every day is curious about others and doesn't make assumptions. The difficulty is often we're time poor, I think, as humans. So, And that's our, if we've met someone who is from a certain background, we often think that the next person we meet might be from that background. Similarly, we meet an older person, you often don't think of their amazing history that they've had, what they've done. You see an older person. So being curious is so important just in day-to-day lives. And then the stories that you hear are mm. just brilliant. Mm. How do you engage or, or start to build a, a rapport with the community? What sort of strategies are you using to build a connection with communities? We Especially often, new and emerging communities. Yeah, so there's there are often leaders within the community, whether a religious leader or someone who has been a leader in whatever uh, place they've been. So we, we start with the community leaders and start having conversations with those leaders. That helps us get an understanding of what they might need or not need. They get to know us a bit. Obviously, if the, if we develop a good relationship with the leader then it becomes a lot easier to then talk to the the rest of the community. So it might be that we arrange an information session for the community. And it might not be about MCCI. It might be about, did you know there's an aged care system in Australia and you can access subsidised aged care services to help you at home? So we don't, it's not all about, you know, come to MCCI, aren't we great? It's really about building the, the community connection to the services and things that are available but also that trust and you know it it does take 
time, years sometimes to develop that trust and that relationship. Mm. So not come to us, let's, you're going to them. We go, yeah, absolutely. We go to communities. We go to where communities are, where they meet, whether that's the mosque, whether that's the church. A lot of us, our social groups, we run from community venues, so church halls. So it might be that they have a, a short mass in the middle of the social group, if that's what's important. So, it, yes, it's really about us going to people and not people feeling they have to come mm-hmm. to us. And I think you said that you use a lot of um, staff who are from multicultural backgrounds. Are they the people who are going out and actually making those, uh, building those relationships? Somebody who's also of the same cultural background or do they not need to be the same cultural background? They don't need to be the same cultural background. Obviously, if language is an issue, then we need to make sure that either there's a, a staff member with that language or we have an interpreter or someone there. But we want to build the relationship with us as an organisation. But yes, sometimes it is it is needed that someone from that background, obviously, if there's someone from that community already is connected with us, that's an, a, an instant level of trust that we've already got because they they know us. Hmm. Um, so it's very much word of mouth. I would say that most of our clients come through word of mouth, yes. Hmm. Yeah. And so do you have actual, like a hub or a place where people can come to as well for information? So we do have an office, but we will also come to people's homes. Um, we will come to their community centres. As I say, if people are meeting at a place already, we will come to you. Often people feel far more comfortable in that environment than they would coming to our office. Uh, equally, if there's, we could hire somewhere that's, that's good for both if there isn't a meeting place already. Mm. And during the day or evenings, weekends? Evenings, weekends. Again, whenever the community meets. So if the community meets at 8 o'clock on a Friday night and they want us to come along, we'll come along at 8 o'clock on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were saying you've got something coming up for Harmony Day. What so, sort of activities are you doing for Harmony Day? So Harmony, so Harmony Week now it's become the the actual twenty first of March. In so in the in Wollongong, we actually light up the lighthouse in orange for the week, and that's really to raise awareness with the community about what Harmony Day is about. Um, we have postcards printed that we put around the cafes locally to try and just raise a bit of awareness and try and get the press involved so that we can just spread the message of diversity and inclusion. We're doing some training for local businesses. We've uh, got a football tournament in Illawarra oh, okay. as well. So, um, And then during Multicultural March, as I say, we're running a, um, a social media campaign which just talks about people's names. And it's just so fascinating, people's where people's names have come from, how some people have chosen a name when they've come to Australia because they were told they needed an English name and how they chose that name. Uh, people where whose cultures don't have surnames and then how they've come up with a surname in Australia for documents. So it's if I, I really encourage people to, to jump onto Facebook or Instagram and have a look at that campaign. It's just really interesting. Multicultural March. So this is in the Illawarra. It's... Multicultural March, I think, is a is a New South Wales uh, thing. I think they've tried to expand Harmony Day, but there's lots of multicultural events that happen. They, there's a big gala dinner in Sydney and those kind of things. But um, we just try to raise awareness during the whole of March about multiculturalism in general. Mm. I want to ask a, an important question around racism, and is it something that you have encountered? as a barrier 
to supporting people in your work? We know that and there's been quite a lot of research done about racism and discrimination in the aged care industry as a whole and the Nurses and Midwives Association have also put something out. We're actually doing a survey at the moment to try and get more feedback from people about racism that people experience in the workplace in aged care. So yes, it's definitely an issue. I think you know, as a society we're still not where we probably need to be in terms of that and it it is a shame that people still judge a person based on the colour of their skin or their name or the the fact that they have an accent or whatever it might be. So yes, racism unfortunately is still around. I suppose our role in that is to really promote diversity, promote inclusion uh, and promote the positive benefits of our our diverse workplace, our diverse society and everything that that brings with it. Mm. I think the federal government's actually doing a review of its multicultural frameworks or policies. What do you think are the key targets that uh, we should be aiming for and what do you feel should be included in those policies and frameworks? I think policy around migration is really important uh, and the message that that sends out at a government level and how that then filters down really sends clear messages about you know what the people in federal government really think the ban the boats all that media that negativity the lack of understanding about uh, refugees asylum seekers and migrants it was so damaging mm-hmm. so having a real really clear migration policy policy around supporting refugees that to me is is number one that the because there's a lot of stuff that the federal government can't do so we've got to look at what they can actually do at a state level there's things within the education system and the health system that could really help just look at inclusion and diversity more broadly but as a society i think we've just really got to look at ourselves and and be really self-reflective call people out if you notice something I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff about being a, a bystander. We did some, we're, we're developing our reconciliation action plan at MCCR at the moment and we did some great cultural training the other day. And one of the things was, you know, be an ally. Stand up for what you believe in and what, if you if you notice behaviour or derogatory language or someone being treated badly, call it out. Mm. If we let those things go, then that's, you know, we're almost the same. So I think... Although you can start at government level and there's certain things they can do, I think it's got to be grassroots as well mm. and really about individuals. Yeah. It's very interesting what you say about the migration issue and, you know, some people are coming here as skilled migrants so perhaps they're sort of more acceptable, uh, you know. I'm a, I'm a very acceptable migrant, I realise that. You know, and it was interesting. I, I worked somewhere, one of my first jobs here, and someone in the office started saying something about uh, there was a mosque being built somewhere. And alongside that was a school. And the level of animosity about a, a school for people of the Muslim faith was bizarre when you think of the amount of Catholic education and things there is in Australia. Mm. But also the idea that all these people were illegal that they weren't contributing to society and they and because they weren't white and I sort mm. of said oh but I'm a migrant 
It's, oh, but you're different. Mm. Why am I different? Why am I different? I've got a job. I've taken a job. Mm. You know, what is the difference between me and someone else? Is it just because I'm slightly unfamiliar to you, so you don't quite recognise yourself in me? Is that what it is? And I think a lot of it is about it's someone's different and we're all scared of different and people and often you know we probably don't have enough occasions where we can really have good conversations with people with from many different backgrounds so that you can get to know them as people but essentially we are people mm-hmm. so i think it's yes as a as an acceptable migrant from a, as a white woman who has had a decent education and speaks good english i don't see why i should be more acceptable than anyone else yeah it's interesting isn't it my father came out on a boat in 1949 and his Irish background and of course uh, he came here and there was a lot of people coming out at the same time from Europe and from war-torn places dad had gone through the war so he knew about that but he was you know it was a culture shock when he got here and it makes me wonder you know we've got the boat people that came and then dad was a boat person actually but nobody was putting him down for coming out on a boat. No, and people's journeys, you, you never know what someone's gone through. If you hear some of the stories, I think people would really change their perceptions. I think media can play a massive part in that. Mm. Um, hearing people's stories, portraying people positively, portraying their successes. You, you, know, you look at the amazing contribution that so many migrants and refugees have made to Australia but somehow they're seen as different from the people over there. Mm. I don't know how that works. In the UK, Mo Farah has been a really good example of that. You know, he's such a celebrated athlete now. But if you listen to his story, those same people would be putting him down if he wasn't a celebrated athlete. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Well, the White Australia policy, I think, still pervades and that sort of... Uh, the idea that people need to assimilate. Yes, yes. I think even just that language um, and that needing to shift that language is uh, is an important step. So some things around that need to go into these policies as because it's being reviewed, there's an opportunity to look at how that can be swept away so that we're able to embrace uh, diversity yeah, I think you know, you've got to look at who's writing the policies, where they're getting their input from, some cultural training for probably the politicians um, and civil servants wouldn't go astray, having good representation across the political sphere and the people who are making decisions, mm. which obviously has improved dramatically. Yeah, but there's still not enough people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds representative on many of these committees and advisory groups so that there is a voice there. Yeah. I wonder whether we need a quota. Oh, I hate the word quota, but I wonder whether or not there needs to be that recognition that there needs to be a greater diversity of voices around the table. When yeah. I, I also hate the quota thing I I think if we could look at why people aren't engaging in those processes is it the process itself is it that people aren't invited to them is it that people don't feel they would be why why are people not getting involved in those processes why do don't people vote why do people not put their hands up to be politicians anymore I mean I could think of nothing worse personally but (laughs) 
but you know all those things need to be looked at so that you can get the voice because quotas it feels very it doesn't feel right it's not real representation to no, me no I agree because there's the possibility that you might just put somebody there because they're the loudest voice but they might not necessarily always be reflective of the community voice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add that you think is important for people to know? Contact details will be probably helpful. (laughs) Uh, Yes, so contact details. uh, We have a website, mcci.org.au. You can ring our office, 61693986. If you're on social media, we have social media pages. I think the thing for us is that if you want to get in touch and have a chat, please do. Um, we'd love to have a chat with people, see what the community needs are, see if there's something we can help with. If it's not something that we can help with, maybe we can point in the right direction. If uh, if there are services that you think your community do need but just don't know how to access let us know. We're quite happy to come out and do information sessions. We have resources in many different languages as well so that we can provide those to the community. So please get in touch and talk to us. Mm. Thank you very much, Sarah. I really appreciated our conversation today. Thank you.